1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.
0: Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.
1: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, now, some of us uh, dream of a, maybe a white picket fence, a nice house, a stable job and the occasional nice holiday. Others, though, seek a different kind of reward or satisfaction. And my guest, I think, is uh, one of those people who falls uh, into the latter category. Uh, she's just broken a world record having sailed from Australia on her own, non-stop, unassisted, around remote freezing Antarctica, at times battling waves the size of a five-storey building. Uh, All up from start to finish, it took 92 days at sea. And I'm pleased to say uh, she has made it back in one piece. It wasn't just about claiming that record, though. Uh, There was also an environmental motivation for setting off on this epic adventure. My guest in this episode is Lisa Blair. Lisa, how are you?
2: hi thanks so much for having me on the show
1: it's an absolute pleasure and fitting too that uh we've been uh, marking uh world ocean day this week uh, you've just conquered the ocean if i can put it that way uh, it must be great yeah, to be back I- on dry land though
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah after three months at sea it's been fantastic to be on dry land but yeah world ocean day this week it's um you know fantastic just to be able to see the world celebrate our oceans and and what we're doing to protect our oceans as well.
1: And I understand you got special recognition too for your uh, epic feats at World Ocean Day this year.
2: Yeah, I was actually... amazingly invited to be a speaker for the United Nations World Ocean Day in New York, uh, which was then broadcasted to, I think it was over 300,000 people around the world. So um, just talking about the citizen science work that was taking place while I was sailing around Antarctica, which is just, you know, so incredible to be involved in something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, How long does it take you to recover after an adventure like that? 92 days uh, bobbing around in the ocean. You've been back on dry land for a few weeks now. Do you feel like you've Got your, your land legs back?
2: <laughs> I haven't had a second to breathe yet. Um, the thing people forget is it's not just 92 days at sea. It was six months of full time work leading up to that 92 days at sea, refitting the boat, preparing it, sailing it to Western Australia, to Albany, and then getting the final preparations done, then doing the record. And by the time I actually leave for the record, um, I'm generally pretty tired by that point. And then you're surviving at sea for yeah three months before you come back. And it's just been this shell-shocking moment of going from being completely on my own with only me there to talk to and the boat Mm. to talk to and then coming back and there was like thousands of people on the foreshore and I've just done like nonstop interviews. I've had family in town. Um, so yeah, I've been losing my voice just because I've simply been talking so much. Um, so it's been incredible, but I have not had a chance to like collect myself just yet.
1: Being back on land, though, obviously brings some opportunities, some creature comforts. Was there one thing in particular, particular food or just a nice, warm, dry bed? Was there something in particular that you were like, oh, I can't wait for that?
2: I always crave a hot shower when I get back from (laughs) sea. Um, It had been like two and a half months till I'd been able to wash my hair. And I managed to have a bucket bath at 4 a.m. the day before arrival um, to wash my hair. So I was at least like, good enough to be in the public. Um, But yeah, having a real hot shower when I got back was like the thing I craved the most.
1: Do you miss being on the boat now that you've been back a few weeks? Are you missing boat life?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've got the delivery of the boat back to Sydney. So I've got a couple of weeks of sailing coming up quite shortly. um, And everyone keeps trying to invite themselves along. And I keep telling everybody, no, 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 I'll be going solo to Sydney because it's (laughs) going to be my holiday, my little um, farewell to the voyage, because it is so... Kind of busy and intense and and you're just sort of always focusing on the next aspect of the record that you don't really get that reflection time so yeah i can't wait to just get back out to sea get a couple of weeks um yeah. sailing to sydney where i'll be able to like really collect myself
1: with a whole lot less pressure you know records to a
2: lot less pressure yeah, yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I know what i've been on a boat even for for a, a few hours you know you lay in bed that night and you're swaying with the boat So you're back in the way. You must get that pretty well permanently, do
2: you? Uh, Not permanently, but I do – like my sleep patterns have been all out of whack because I got in this cycle at sea where I would be mostly awake throughout the night and I'd sleep mostly through the days. And so I still haven't quite kind of adjusted. It's almost like I'm jet lagged. Um, and then when you have a shower and things like that, you can't shut your eyes in the shower or you might fall over because um, your body's so used to kind of adapting for the role of the ocean that as soon as you are stationary, the body still tries to adapt. And, um, you know, walking straight lines is always quite entertaining when you first get back on dry land.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, can you paint, <laughs> paint a picture for us? What is life on the boat actually like? You know, I know nothing's probably normal. You don't sleep your regular eight hours, uh, wake up, sit down, have breakfast, and then crack on with your day, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing. Um, what, is a, what is a standard kind of day like, though, on a boat when you're on an adventure like this?
2: Yeah, well, it's hugely different if you've got crew compared to being solo. So yeah. Being solo means that there is no one else on watch. So I am on watch 24 7, seven days a week. Um, you just don't get a gap, you don't get a break. Um, so when I'm close to land or known hazards, so I'll be sleeping in um, 20 minute micro sleeps. So 20, they're yeah. just short bursts. Yeah. <laughs> Every 20 minutes, you've got to get up, you've got to scan the horizon for a 360. You're looking for ships that haven't um, tripped your like sensors, um, maybe icebergs or land. Um, You're looking at cloud pattern changes, wind and weather, those sorts of things. And then you're trying to go back to sleep again for another 20 minutes. So you end up in this sort of half awake, half asleep state where you never really get rest, but you kind of just get enough to function. Um, And then with Antarctica, because it's so remote and I was going so far south, like far further south than the normal shipping lanes, Um, the risk of traffic was really minimal once I got down there. So I was Mm -hmm. able to kind of increase those sleep patterns up to generally 40 minutes, sometimes an hour, Um, but you still have to get up every 40 minutes or an hour, check the sails, adjust the trim, um, alter the boat's course or... You might be keeping a good lookout for icebergs or you might be approaching an island in the region. Um, So there's no real off time. So you're always kind of got one ear out on the boat and you get so sensitive to the movement of the boat that the smallest... Change in the motion of the boat, like you're awake, you're straight away, you're on deck and you're adjusting the sails because the winds change direction or you know, whatever's going on. Um, so I don't tend to like wake up and just have like an hour to have my cup of coffee in the morning Mm -hmm. and um, read the paper, so to speak. Uh, but I do, um, I have this thing called an easy oven which basically like bakes the food. Uh, for me so I'd pre-make some porridge pop it in the easy oven let it kind of cook itself while I went up on deck and then um, on deck I would be assessing if we took any damage in the night quite often after a storm we may have taken some damage broken some wind generator blades or something so I'd be having a a general look around the boat um, just checking everything's okay I might have to do a sail change or something and then about an hour later I'd be back inside the boat ready to have a hot meal and, uh, and then make a new plan for the day and, and every day is different because some days you have to repair stuff other days you've got lots more sail changes happening because you've got really big shifts in the weather patterns coming through Um, some days I might have obligations where I'm chatting to people on the sat phone or um, you know trying to send emails, write blogs, all of that sort of stuff going back Uh, so yeah every day was quite different at sea Um, but the the general rhythm of the routine was generally in two hour blocks it would be the two hours of sailing, two hours of resting, sleeping, two hours of maintenance work, um, eating and then uh, yeah trying to sleep again so didn't really get a lot
1: <laughs> it does not sound relaxing at all no it sounds like you're busy <laughs> it's a record
2: right
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean to some people that's that's torture constant sleep deprivation you know some background level of anxiety <laughs> at all times yeah I mean that's the stuff that Basically. drives people nuts
2: um, yeah, and, and sometimes like the sleep deprivation can get so chronic that you can't measure out your emotions properly. So it's not like you're upset or mad or aggressive or any of those things, but your body stops being able to regulate how you respond to situations. And um there was this one crazy week where basically like anything that wasn't quite perfect would just like trip me and I would be a balling mess. I'd be shouting at the boat and then I'd have to apologize to the boat because I felt really bad that I shouted at the boat. And it was like over something so simple, like a knot in a rope that shouldn't have gotten caught or, you know, just not even a problem whatsoever. And it would just be that like kind of hair that broke the camel's back that just trips you over. So yeah, the sleep deprivation is like, Probably one of the biggest challenges out there. Obviously, you've got the storms and surviving the storm conditions, but managing your emotions, managing your fatigue against a speed record, um, and then managing that sleep deprivation was yeah, pretty pretty hectic.
1: Can I ask you to sort of you know be a little bit uh, reflective and introspective here? But um, what did you learn about yourself putting yourself through this? You know, epic, torturous adventure.
2: I learn more and more about myself every time I do a trip like this. And I guess the biggest thing is I learn how to become more resilient every time. And I learn how to rationalize, um, I guess, my thought process. I'm a very logical thinker normally. So I, I like to sort of step back and break down a situation into steps or goals um, to sort of manage an emergency situation or manage. Uh, like that extreme extreme fatigue or sleep management Um, so for me for this record when I would hit those low 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 points I would have to just take that step back and go okay well I've already identified it's sleep deprivation that's doing this so how do I improve this do I have enough room against the record to sort of slow the boat down a little bit more and not do that sail change and get sleep instead or do I have to keep pushing through this? Um, and generally as soon as I got a little bit of sleep um, all of those problems or all those things that felt like massive problems out there mm-hmm. just all went away uh, and that was really probably one of the more interesting factors was seeing how much sleep impacted my mindset and my quality of mindset and my positivity when I was out there. And if I was um, tired, I was more of a negative thinker. And if I was rested, I was always a positive thinker. So I think, you know, for just people listening, like sleep is like critical to your mental health.
1: As you now know (laughs) better than just about anybody. Lisa, I still have so many more questions, but we're going to have to take a break and I'll hit you with a few more right after that. Lisa Blair is our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. World record claiming solo sailor has just uh, conquered Antarctica uh, solo and unassisted across 92 days out on the open seas. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories and this is an epic story to tell. uh, The story of Lisa Blair who for some reason, I still haven't quite uh, been able to work this one out, decided it was a good idea uh, to jump in a yacht and head around freezing cold Antarctica on her own, unassisted and non-stop and she did it in a world record of 92 days smashing a previous record uh, by no less than 10 days Uh, she's back in albany at the moment having returned to dry land a few weeks ago uh, and she joins us in this episode of inspiring stories Uh, lisa i'm imagining myself being out there (laughs) and hoping that i might have had some epiphany gazing out over the horizon with a moment to myself where you know, some grand thought or idea just suddenly comes to me in this moment of isolation and adventure. Did that happen to you?
2: I do most of my world record planning <laughs> when I'm on a world record.
1: That <laughs> was your, That was I'd really know. a big focus for you.
2: <laughs> you get so much time to think out there. So I I'm, know. I'm well, often
1: what are you thinking about? And, What's in yeah. your head?
2: It's Well, okay, so you get this blend of, like, high-intensity need to go, go, go because you're fighting for a storm or you've you you know you've got stuff going on with the boat that you've got to kind of deal with and fix. And then on the flip side, you get these moments where you can just sort of, well, for me, I get mesmerised by the ocean because you just get to witness it in so many different moods and colours and textures and um, and there's no other distractions out there. So you can just sit and stare. And quite often I will just be in awe of what I get to witness, because I don't see unique, amazing things, but I'm witnessing this view that's untouched, that's not getting seen by another human being in that moment in time. And it might be just the most incredible sky with thousands and thousands of stars against a mirrored calm water in the middle of nowhere. Or it could be because I'm in the eye of a storm and I'm watching waves the size of a five-story building having the tops ripped off and breaking and that sort of force of Mother Nature behind it. And then I'm on this tiny 15-meter boat surviving in it. And it's just the most... um, I guess, meditative part of the journey, so yeah. to speak. Um, but, yeah, I definitely spend a lot of time going, hmm, uh, what's next? And uh, I'd start planning and, and sort of visualising. I do a lot of visualisation just in my own, like, mental approach to these records and um, so I start thinking and dreaming and and pondering like what do I want to do next would I like to challenge that record and I start thinking through scenarios that I might face in in another record or um, maybe I've got another big part of this record like for example with Antarctica um, one of the higher risk elements was Cape Horn and so I would spend a lot of time just on deck thinking and visualizing and and wondering what the conditions were going to be like when I or sailed around Cape Horn um, for the second time on this last record. So you you just end up, there's no distractions. It's open ocean and it's your own mind. So, um, you know, you can think or dream or ponder to your heart's desire out there. And I have seen um, when I've sailed with crew on different boats, and especially if it's your first ocean crossing some people tend to struggle with that idea of just being alone with their thoughts. And um, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that you've just got to learn to love yourself for all your faults and, and for whatever your personality is, you've just got to, embrace it because mm. it's part of who you are and you can only get better from there if you've embraced any, any kind of flaws or or problems and um so when you're ocean sailing you've got all this time to be very introspective and very reflective of your actions your personality how you approach life um, and so i use that as a platform to just make my life better yeah go on and onwards and upwards
1: it's its own kind of therapy
2: <laughs> yeah definitely yeah
1: um, C- can I ask you, were you ever genuinely scared for your survival yes. out there? I mean, you mentioned five-story yeah. waves. Was that the worst of it?
2: Well, um, I don't know how much of my story you know, but in 2017, I tried the record. Yes. Um, and I dismastered. So mm. uh, a dismastering jumped, for anyone listening the there, is when the.
1: That's that's cool. Let's can talk you hear me? No, no, no. I was going to say you've 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 stolen one of my next uh, topics. <laughs> I was getting it onto. <laughs> But, of course, fear comes from previous experiences as well. So let's talk about the 2017, uh, your mast snapped, right?
2: Yeah. So, so the mast is like the aluminium bit that the sails fly off. Yeah. And mine snapped off at deck level. And it left me in this really hectic sort of survival situation. And, um, you know, there was one moment in time that night where I had to make or at least the reality was no longer will I survive the night, it was whether I was going to survive the next five minutes. And so, for me, in that record, I had to face my own morality and I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that I might not come home from this voyage. And in all of my planning and preparation, we, you know, we talk about it. I talk about it with my family. I talk about the fact that. I'm doing something incredibly dangerous out here and while I feel very skilled to be able to undertake a challenge like this there is an element of luck and I am so remote that rescue is simply not an option out there um, so I I sort of almost say to my family that's okay I'm, I'm okay if I don't come back from this because I'm out here living my life having this incredible adventure and i could die in a car accident tomorrow and have done nothing with my life Mm. and so there's that element of luck that comes with a record like this but even so um having survived the dismasting and going through such a, a a sort of pretty traumatic horrible experience um and then it took me like five years to sort of I guess build up the confidence again to challenge this record and and sort of move past that experience so definitely on this trip there was one storm just before I rounded Cape Horn where we had yeah your your sort of 10 meter breaking seas and To give you some perspective, one square metre of whitewater is one tonne of pressure being applied. So if you've got a 10 metre breaking wave, that's minimum 10 tonnes of pressure impacting the side of the boat and it picks you up and it literally throws you. Um, And if it hits on the side of the hull, the g forces associated as you basically get your boat gets flung airborne and then you impact in the trough at the bottom of the wave and then the rest of that whitewater kind of catches up to you and kind of, keeps flipping you upside down, Um, but you just never know in that situation if one of those waves will hit hard enough to stove the side of your boat in and start sinking you or to rip the mast down because you're upside down in the ocean or maybe you yourself are are unfortunately like crossing the cabin and you get flung and you get a head injury or, you know, like there's just so many unknowns in a situation like that when you're in the centre of one of those really extreme storms. Um, And for me, I was getting... I wouldn't call it PST uh, as such, but I was definitely getting kind of flashbacks of the dismasting. And when we would get those big hits and there was a couple of just like really uniquely violent hits impacting the bone um, I would just like have this flash in my mind of that moment where the mask snapped and I was thrust into that survival situation. And, and like the adrenaline that you feel afterwards, like I was shaking like a leaf just from the amount of adrenaline pumping through my body, because you just like you brace, you have the impact you kind of get flung across the cabin and then on the other end of it, you're waiting for that sound of everything breaking or or ripping and tearing. And, and when it doesn't come, it's that instant relief that like, oh, you've made it through this one more wave. Like, And then you get the next wave hits and the next wave. And it's this kind of rolling terror <laughs> cycle. Um, and while I knew I would be going through it, when i did the record like it was part of the parcel of doing a record like this it doesn't change the way you interact with it like it can still be a terrifying part of the experience as much as it can be an awesome part of the experience as well so um yeah to say in a nutshell that there were some scary moments so yeah there was a few
1: and i still come back to the main question lisa why (laughs) (laughs) on a serious note though Um, do you, I mean, you mentioned, you know, having to contemplate your own mortality when you set off on one of these adventures. That must be a yeah. difficult kind of conversation, not only to have with yourself, but to have with your loved ones. Do you actually yeah, sit think, down uh, and have that conversation with them?
2: Yeah, we do. Um, and, and they, they're very involved in everything that I do, which I think helps a lot because, um, you know, my mom and my sister and my dad, like they're, up to date with every step of the process. So, as I'm refitting the boat and I'm trying to decide modifications on the boat or structuring, strengthening a section of the boat or why I'm not doing that, um, I'll explain my reasons to them as I'm going along. So, they're as educated in my preparations as I am. And I think that helps a lot because they know then that. I'm not just willy-nilly going out and going, oh, yeah, I'll have a crack. Let's go around Antarctica. They can see the years of hard work and the preparation, and they can see how serious that I am taking it because, you know, a record like this is made or broken in the preparation. Um, And like I said, I could hop in a car tomorrow and have a car accident, which is a far higher death rate than ocean sailing, Um, I think ocean sailing is below coconuts falling on your head as far as, like, numbers per... Per people who are participating in the sport um, so the risk is actually quite small in comparison to other elements or other things we do on a daily basis without even blinking so it's more that it's outside of their control or outside of my control if that scenario occurred yep. um, and the only thing I can do is just prepare for it as much as I can and prepare them for that eventuality um, should it occur but yeah no one ever wants to have that conversation.
1: I love the warp logic though that you get from thrill seekers and extreme <laughs> adventurers like you, you know, about the, you know, stepping out in front of a bus or something or coconuts falling, you know, it's a very weird (laughs) logic, but you know, you tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself, Lisa. (laughs) Hey, we need to take another break. uh, But after that, I want to know. Um, how you got to this point what drives you to do this and we'll talk as well about your um, environmental motivation for doing this uh, extraordinary adventure as well all coming up right after we take a break lisa blair is our special guest on inspiring stories back with more in a moment
0: you're listening to inspiring stories for barra o'day don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Hi everybody, uh, so I thought I'd do another onboard update because I'm going to lose cell phone signals soon uh, If you'll see around me here it's just grey drizzly rain, all that heat and sunshine taken off And I just had a dolphin, so got some company at the moment And we're just sort of motor sailing because the wind's still quite light So I've only got sort of eight knots of wind But I've got a bit of a deadline so there's a bit of a strong uh, sort of westerly coming through the Bass Strait
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our guest in this episode is uh, world record solo sailor Lisa Blair, who's recently returned from just over three months uh, conquering the waters of Antarctica. She made it back uh, into Albany uh, in one piece. Lisa, you must have an incredible relationship with that boat of yours. And I'll get you to describe it as well, because for those who haven't actually seen it, uh, it's got the most uh, amazing skin, if that's what you call it. Uh, covering the outside of the boat which tells a story as well but firstly the boat itself you must you must love it
2: yeah I mean she's called Climate Action Now she's the most fantastic boat Um, we've upgraded and improved her with every record that I've gone out and done but more than that like the boat becomes a part of your sort of like a character in your narrative almost Mm. so it becomes Uh, or anyone following you'll you'll hear me reference we a lot and it's me in the boat I'll say oh we did this or we did that and it's always me in the boat Um, and so yeah she definitely becomes a a part of my story and and one of the characters involved in my sailing Um, we about seven years ago we actually came up with this campaign called climate action now and um, I've been collecting post-it note messages from people in the public throughout all of my sailing career and And each post-it note message is an environmental action on something that they're already doing towards a better future. And if you see the photo of the boat, you'll see the whole hull of uh, Climate Action Now is wrapped in thousands and thousands and thousands of post-it note messages. And um, the goal of the campaign is that as I'm sailing, it's sort of this passive, positive way of leaving a note to the community and saying, hey, look at all these actions that people are doing As an individual, you have the power to create change. Just take one action. Um, So she's lively. She stands out brighter than life. You can't miss her in the dark, that's for Mm. sure. And um, she's 50 foot long. The the mast is uh, 22 metres high. So it's quite a tall mast. She's quite a big boat. And a lot of people consider that quite a large boat to sail solo. Um, And inside the boat, she's compartmentalised up into seven different compartments. So while she's a 50-foot yacht... I'm actually only living in about five to six square metres of space. So my my actual living area is very, very small because every other area of the boat has been compartmentalised off. And that's for um, things like an iceberg collision or, or potentially like a shipping container collision uh, where I might flood a compartment. I can't flood the whole boat. So right. it gives me that sort of extra redundancy at sea, so to speak.
1: Yeah. And I notice you've got some pretty... Um big name and impressive sponsors, backing your adventure, Lisa. Is Post-it Note a sponsor as well? Because if not, they damn well should be.
2: Uh, 3M did jump on board oh, and sponsor the vinyl for the wrap. So, yeah, <laughs> they were there great support there. It's
1: a great advertisement <laughs> for Post-it Note. I know there was a lay around the outside, but those Post-it Notes all managed to stay on your boat, sailing around the yep. seas. So that's, uh, that's <laughs> great. Um, I understand, though, you had um, uh, an encounter with a, a, a piece of litter out in the ocean, though, that really sparked your mind and got you thinking more about um, how we treat the oceans, uh, or right around the world, not just, uh, you know, in the Southern Ocean and around Australia's oceans. But um, tell us about that moment.
2: Yeah, so it was actually way back in the beginning of my sailing career. So a um, bit of backstory, I actually grew up in the bush um, on the sunny coast, so we had this little solar-powered property, so we, I had already kind of been exposed to being respectful to nature and, and being... Um, you know not abusing the resources that we have available and then I started ocean sailing with the Clipper around the world yacht race and there was this section in the southern ocean we were sailing from South Africa to um Fremantle actually and we were way down in the southern ocean halfway between both continents and there was this styrofoam box floating past with a bird sitting on it and I just remember thinking to myself how is it out here in the middle of the most raw, untouched environment where there's literally no people are we getting rubbish and rubbish to the extent where it's literally floating on the surface of the ocean. Um, and that wasn't the only piece of rubbish that was spotted, that record. And um, in fact, up through um, past a lot of the Asian countries and stuff uh, where the currents work quite differently, there was so much pollution that we were having to have someone on the bow of the boat with a boat hook pushing the debris out of the way of the bow of the boat so we could actually make our way through. Um And that's just the visible stuff. And that's just what's on the surface of the ocean that one person can spot from one boat once as they sail past. Um, If you multiply that by how much actual surface area of the ocean there is, it's alarming to think that there's that much pollution in our waters. And uh, so for me, yeah, that was like a real heart-wrenching kind of epiphany, I guess, to see such a raw environment already affected and then now it's been eight years later and I still see pollution out there and I see more and more of it as I sail. Is it
1: getting worse from from what you've been able to visually inspect?
2: Yeah definitely like even when I left for the record for this record um, I was about five miles off the coast of Australia heading south to Antarctica and a water bottle like a plastic bottle floated past um, and I couldn't even stop to pick it up because of the way I was on, on a record. I couldn't use my engine to sort of drop the sails and go and get it. But I thinking like, I'm just one person and I'm not even standing watch when I'm on these trips because I'm solo. So half the time I'm sleeping, like there's so much that I would be sailing past and not even realizing it's out there. Um, And I'm only seeing like the tiniest minuscule amount of what's actually in our oceans. And uh, that's why things like World Ocean Day is so important as just like an education platform um, to sort of, I guess, highlight what's happening out there. And that's why we were doing um, citizen science and microplastic sampling while I was sailing around Antarctica
1: as well. Yeah. So what did that actually entail? How often did you have to collect the samples and what's going to happen with those?
2: Yeah, so I um I basically always knew that Antarctica is this like kind of under-surveyed area because it's so hard to get to and um, Antarctica itself has research stations and a lot of boats will do research between like Urishwai and the Antarctic Peninsula and down in Commonwealth Bay in the Ross Sea Um, but not many vessels are actually going the whole way around or doing a lot of sampling in that southern ocean belt um, surrounding Antarctica so we put on board a um, basically like a micro lab that I rented from the ocean race and it's called a subsea ocean um race unit and basically it's a flow-through water system that measures the water quality the whole way around Antarctica so we were doing this sort of monitoring system as I le- as I went around and then as a part of that some of the water gets pushed through a microplastic sampler and I was taking two samples a day and so I'd take a um, 500 micron sample which is kind of like a A wider mesh kind of sampling. And that would run for 22 hours. And then I would change it out for a 100 micron sample, which was our really fine sample. And I'd run that for two hours. So, in theory, the entire whole Southern Ocean belt that I sailed has now been completely sampled at least once um, throughout the whole duration of the record. So, yeah, twice a day I was changing those samples out. And then all of those samples are getting sent up to the Australian Institute of Marine Science up in Cairns to be processed. And the data monitoring that's been taking place is going up onto a platform called IMOS, which is a sort of um, observing, ocean maritime observing uh, platform where things like weather stations and scientific observations get fed into a database so that then scientists scientists around the world can then use that to um, feed into their own modelling or their own science research that's taking place.
1: You know that now that you've done this and got this first sample, you're going to have to go again. So we've got a second reference.
2: Well, you know, I
1: mean,
2: <laughs> I've been twice around Antarctica now. I'm like, what's one more? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Um, would we be shocked when I say we, you know, just regular citizen, would we be shocked by how much junk there is out there in the ocean?
2: I definitely think you would be because what you see in these Pacific gyres and and, you know, like these areas where the ocean current kind of feeds the visible pollution down into a a spiralling sort of visual reference, Um, that's just like the top two metres of the surface of the ocean. What people forget about is what sinks and then breaks down into these smaller microparticles. Um, And there's this saying, I'm pretty sure, and don't quote me 100% on this, but pretty sure the saying is by 2050, there's going to be more plastic than fish in the ocean.
1: Yeah, that's 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 terrifying, like, isn't it?
2: Just let that sink in, like and then at the moment already they're getting plastic in the fish that you're eating from the ocean because of how much pollution those fish are eating it and then the toxins from the plastic is leaching into the fat cells of the fish and then it's getting up onto your dinner plate. So,
1: Mm. Uh, Lisa, we need to take another break, but I have more questions for you. So many more. (laughs) We'll get into those uh, right after this. This is Inspiring Stories. Solo sailor Lisa Blair is our special guest. Back with more in a moment.
0: You're listening to inspiring stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to inspiring stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is by name. My special guest is Lisa Blair, who spent 92 days, that is a world record, uh, sailing on her own. Uh, non-stop, unassisted around Antarctica. Lisa, you beat that record by 10 days. Have you met the person you beat?
2: Fedor Konyakov, yes. Yeah, yeah, so I, I left
1: you to happened. say the name because I couldn't. I, I was never going to attempt <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> Russian sailor
2: Fedor Russian Konyakov. is he, right. <laughs> he is one of the most amazing adventurers. You might remember the guy who hot air ballooned around the world. Yes. Um, I believe it was a yeah. Perth to Perth. So it's the same person. Oh, right, He's the first Protestant priest to climb Mount Everest. He's done dog sled teams to the South Pole, North Pole, sailed solo around the world four times, rode from Chile to Australia, rode from New Zealand to Cape Horn, um, hot air ballooned around the world, is now trying to do a fixed-wing solar flight around the world. He's just one of the most incredible (laughs) adventurers. And, you know, hopefully one day my uh, adventuring career can reflect his to some degree. (laughs) Well,
1: you've knocked him off his um, perch for for this trip anyway, so well done.
2: (laughs) Well, I did get to meet him um, way back in 2014, just when I was starting to commit to the goal of going around Antarctica solo. And uh, he had just finished rowing, I think it was 68 days from Chile to Australia in a rowboat. And we got to have a cup of tea and he doesn't speak any English, but his son Oscar, who's his project manager does. And uh, so we had a cup of tea and his bit of advice to me was always pass icebergs to the North. Um, and I've never forgotten that, that conversation, been able to meet him and, yep. and yeah, he's yep. a lovely, lovely person. And he's always been a huge support as well um, for people wanting to challenge his records, which yeah. is a really great thing to see.
1: Fantastic. Well, you absolutely smash it 10 days uh, ahead of his previous world record. Uh, As I mentioned, can I ask, when when you were a kid, Lisa, you mentioned growing up, you know, in a more of a bush setting uh, on the Sunshine Coast, but were you a kid that were, you found yourself easily bored, always seeking some sort of adventure and some sort of adrenaline rush? Were you that kid?
2: Um, I don't know about adrenaline rush uh, necessarily, but I was definitely... Uh, a very imaginative kid I would build forts out in the back by backyard by the creek um, we didn't really have a lot of tv growing up so yeah. it meant we had to self-entertain and I think that lent me to a lot of skill sets where I'm able to kind of visualize a project and go oh yeah I'll make that happen um, which is something I don't think necessarily kids who are glued to screens and the likes get that exposure or that get that development process um, kind of moving forward but uh, I didn't actually start sailing until I I was 25, so wow. I've only been sailing well 12 years now, um, and all of my sailing has been the more expedition sort of extreme version of sailing. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm sensing your adventures are uh, not done by a long shot. Uh, what's next on your horizon? Can you find somewhere that's a little bit more tropical and balmy next time? Perhaps? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so many people said that when <laughs> I first finished the record in 2017. They're like, why didn't you go around Australia or someplace like that? It would be so much warmer. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, I did set the Australia <laughs> record, but it was harder than Antarctica because as a solo sailor, you've got a lot more points of failure, so to speak. So you've got a lot more reefs and rocks and ships and traffic that you've got to negotiate around as a solo sailor. So, um, yeah, I do have a list developing. Um, Coming up next is going to be a speed record to New Zealand. That's a definite. And then uh, I have to just sort of see how things pan out with sponsors and trying to finance it. I never, um, unfortunately, get like kind of 100% of the sponsorship. So Mm. I'm doing a lot of fundraising talks at the moment, trying to pay out the rest of the bills associated with it project um but yeah there's there's plans there's maybe an arctic circumnavigation round the world west about maybe row a rowboat around australia maybe <laughs> walk across the south pole um yeah
1: i've got ideas it sounds like you do um, <laughs> that sort of other lifestyle that a lot of people pursue that i mentioned at the very start of the show that kind of more stable you know you come home and lay your reliable. head down uh, in your in your regular house, in your regular suburb with a regular job. Does that, does that appeal to you on any level?
2: Um, maybe one day. I think one of the things for me, when I fell into sailing and it was a pure accident, I just randomly got a job as the cook and the cleaner on a charter yacht as a uni holiday. I was going to be an art teacher, a high school art teacher. Right. Um, and, uh, and I... I had sort of thought to myself, well, I'll follow this path of sailing for now while I can, while I'm able to do it. And it sort of just opened my world up to what's possible. And and so that dream of like having a really good job that's fun and having a great house and a property and maybe a partner and all of that stuff um, sort of became second to the goals because the goals just sort of opened so many more doors for me. Um, But it's not something I I wouldn't want. It's just not right now. So I've got definitely at least another 10 hard years of adventuring that I'd like to (laughs) pursue and then we'll see.
1: <laughs> so not in the classroom as an art teacher as such, but you you are getting back into the classroom to speak to, to kids uh, at the moment, aren't you? They must ask you some funny questions.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the key goals of this campaign was to roll out um, six months of s- school speaking for free yep. um, So across Australia. So any schools, um, parents, teachers that are interested having me come and share my story with the kids, introduce them to the idea of microplastics and what they can do as initiatives in their households and their schools. Um, They can drop me a line at my website and uh, I'd I'd love to get involved, whether it's remotely through zoom or in person, if I can make the visit. Um, But yeah, the kids always come up with great questions and they're always uh it, the best is when you get to take them on the boat and actually show wow. them the boat and they're reading the post-it notes on the side of the boat yep. and there's um you know funny post-it notes like my mother's one is um i refuse to iron for climate action and i'm like mom you don't iron because you just don't want to iron <laughs> it's not because you're trying to save electricity
1: <laughs> well that's got but me yeah, thinking it's, it's i reckon i could way, contribute on that congrats. level somehow <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's another one where this guy said he wears his under- underwear four times before washing them <laughs> inside outside and back to front so you know you get some odd ones
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey we've all got our ways to contribute to the greater good right exactly Find <laughs>
2: action all the way
1: yeah and you've you've found time to uh, to put your thoughts down in a book as well
2: yeah, so there's the book um, from the first record uh, called Facing Fear, which was yeah. published by Australian Geographic. So that is um, kind of the, the sort of origin story, so to speak. And it also details the dismasting, the near dying, the, the survival situation, the collision with the container ship. Um, and then the sort of aspects of facing that fear and trying to overcome it and go back to the Southern Ocean to set the record with one stop, which is what I did in 2017. So um, part two of that book will be coming out uh, as soon as I get a microsecond to write uh, yeah. the book about this record as well.
1: Come on, Lisa, what's wrong with you?
2: I know, I've only been on land two
1: so weeks. hey. I don't know that there'd be anyone uh, more qualified at the moment to uh, to write a book of that title um, but Lisa, congratulations again uh, on your extraordinary adventure, uh, conquering the oceans, claiming that world record, and also, uh, um, you know, pushing uh, microplastic science uh, along as well. So congratulations on all of that. And, can, and we look forward to seeing whatever your next adventure is, maybe one of those ones you mentioned there. Um, but uh, in between you know now and then, I hope you just enjoy just, you know, sitting still, peace and quiet, nice <laughs> warm bed.
2: When do I sit still? <laughs>
1: Home Home-cook- cooked dinner all of that. Um, But thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me on the show. It was a great chat.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.